Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everyone, to the All-NBA Podcast, part of the All-City Network. I am your guest host for the day, filling in for Adam Mares, Gerald Bourget from PHNX Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by the incomparable Tim Legler. Tim, how excited are you to have basketball back in our lives again? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for sure. The break's nice. It energizes you, but um, it's now every night takes on a greater meaning. The magnitude of the games, more important, it's what I love to do is get into the big games and try to learn what we can as we hit this stretch run and what's going to happen. So, that yeah, it starts tonight, and I'm excited. Absolutely. It's been too many days without basketball in our lives. Just a reminder, everyone, the All-NBA podcast is presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, Tim, now that we are coming out of the all-star break and kind of hitting that sprint, that sprint portion of the season, let's start with the West and take a look at the lay of the land here. We've got some odds presented by DraftKings. These are odds to win the conference. We've got Minnesota at the top of the conference with a 39 and 16 record. The Thunder one and a half games back in second. Clippers two games back in third. Nuggets three games back in fourth. Suns, six games back in fifth. And then we've got the Pelicans, who are tied with them in record. Uh, Mavericks, Kings, Lakers, Warriors. Those are the top ten. And I think, barring an injury of some sort, that looks like what's going to be our play-in field here. Uh, I'll start with you. What jumps out at you when you look at the odds and just the, stand, the lay of the land in the West? Well, it's just interesting to me, I think, when you've got these two teams that I think have surprised most people that they've had the staying power at the top of the West with, with, with the number of loaded teams, the number of, you know, hall of fame players that are in dotting Western conference rosters. The fact that these two teams, Minnesota and Oklahoma city, as we sit here, you know, not the midway point, like the, most people would think the all-star game signifies it's way past that, right? You're, you're now in the stretch run and they're still there at one and two. And yet it seems like most people still look at the top talent on these other rosters and think like that they're actually more likely to come out of the Western Conference. And so I get it. I understand why it's tough to um, have very little playoff experience collectively and then, you know, sort of make this run through a, a conference like this and get to the finals. I, so I understand it. It's up to those two teams to prove it. Um, what are they exactly? And I think for a lot of us, we're still trying to figure that out. Minnesota probably looks a little bit more like, like, complete i guess because they've got some more veteran guys that have been around a while and their defense like it separates them like they can be a team that can win 198 game if they have to because they can just clamp down with their size and their rim protection and their and their defensive athleticism on the perimeter 
so they they look like a little bit more like okay they, they might be able and poised and they got a great home record so if you got a number one seed and you're playing at home you're guaranteed a home court advantage first two of every series in your building maybe that's a little bit more legitimate but it still just does stand out to me that despite the years that they've both had people are still looking at the clippers and the denver and phoenix and i think dallas will get into that conversation here pretty soon um of expecting these teams to supplant them you know and and mm -hmm. that means really that means that could mean in some cases both of those teams you're losing the first round okay. um and that that's kind of we could be facing that i mean when you look at what they like if it started today minnesota would get the dallas minnesota would get the sacramento kings that wouldn't be an easy series oklahoma city would get dallas you know and that mm -hmm. that's today i mean it could end up any of those teams that i just mentioned could end up in those bottom spots um, and that could be a real problem for those top seeds. So I just think that's what's the most interesting. We didn't expect it to look like this. Um, if you'd asked me before the season, we're sitting here 50-plus games in, that these two teams are the top of the West, but here they've been pretty much all year. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that stands out to me. You mentioned it, is if you look at those top 10 teams, I could see all 10 of those teams potentially winning a first-round series, and I could see all 10 of them potentially going home in the first round. It's going to come down to matchups for me. I mean, I, I know home court advantage is obviously important. You look at a team like the Timberwolves who have been so good at home and those younger, maybe less experienced teams comparatively to star-studded teams like the Suns, like the Lakers, like the Warriors, even if they get there, you want that home court advantage. But at the same time, like you could get a bad matchup for you stylistically in the first round and go home when you had conference, you know, finals aspirations or better. Um, it's fascinating to me because you look even at the bottom of the conference where the teams that everybody loves to talk about, the Lakers, the Warriors, are playing slightly better basketball over the last few weeks. There is no easy <laughs> first round matchup for a lot of these teams. Um, and you're right, like teams like the Timberwolves and the Thunder, they are really going to have to prove it. Um, it's kind of reminiscent to me in a way of the Suns back from 2021, a team that had very little playoff experience. And yes, obviously they caught quite a few injury breaks to get to the finals. Um, but it's one of those things where nobody, they were the underdogs in their first round matchup against the Lakers because of that experience. I think we're going to see something similar with the Thunder and the Timberwolves for sure. Yeah, that's what that's what's going to happen. And you know, the Lakers are a team I didn't mention just now, but you know, they're they're obviously interesting, and they're always going to be interesting because they've got LeBron and they're the Lakers, and they they're playing their best stretch right now. And we'll mm -hmm. see if they can maintain that. They've got an interesting. I think we're going to know a lot more about the Lakers in about three weeks because the next ten games, I believe it is, they play seven teams that are above mm -hmm. them in the Western Conference standings. So you, I mean, you're literally taking every one of these teams that's in front of you in your sights. And you get mm -hmm. to play, and also they get a game against Milwaukee during the, during that stretch. So, and then they've got a couple of you know bottom feeders in there. I think they got Washington, San Antonio, a um, couple against Golden State. If you had say the next twelve games, mm -hmm. but that's that's taking direct aim at the teams that are in front of you. And you know, you know, we still don't know in a given night if anybody's at full strength. Is somebody sitting resting? Somebody something nagging somebody? I want to see these teams at full strength, and you get a better idea with the Lakers. They're 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 lurking. They're not a team anybody would want to play because. What I look at in the playoffs, Gerald, a lot of times is the player that can control the series to the greatest extent, right? And that means a guy that's not going to be game planned for very well because they just have either a counter offensively for what you throw at them in terms of a scorer, or they're so good at picking you apart. If you want to blitz them and get the ball out of their hands, they just control the action to such an extent 
that it I kind of favor teams like that. And you look at a guy like LeBron clearly falls into that category. Luca falls into that category. You know, Kevin Durant can fall into that category. So you look at some of these teams, as Kawhi Leonard certainly, with his strength and the way he plays in the mid game, like mid range game. So that that's what I look at against you know teams like Oklahoma City, Minnesota. That as great as Shea is, he hasn't had to do it in a playoff series against that. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's fascinating to me. And I have incredible amount of respect for both of those two teams at the top. And I'm not saying they're going to get bounced early, but you've never seen a situation where the one and two seed this late into the season, and particularly in the West over the last 20 years, where you have this much doubt that they can even get out of the first round. It's because of who they might play. It's really It's really a very unique, bizarre situation. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It speaks to the parody of the league as well. Um, but let's get into some of our most interesting teams, and we'll start with the West because I know the Thunder were one on, on your list. Uh, you mentioned it. We haven't seen it from Shea just yet in terms of being able to be one of those unguardable, unstrategizable playoff matchups. What are you looking for from the Thunder over this stretch run, and what makes them such an interesting team in your mind, aside from you know the obvious that – they're kind of going into this stretch run as underdogs despite being a top two seed in the conference. Yeah, well, look, Shea is, is you know, elite level. I think he's top five hardest individual covers in the league, like just to stop a guy from getting to his spot to score. He, he mm-hmm. gets where he needs to go. He's got, you know, a full bag of handles. He's got mm-hmm. a, a, a start-stop stutter type game that keeps you off balance, and then he's got this stop on a dime like probably stops like more abruptly going full speed than any player in the league. And and it's an unstoppable shot because it's got a natural lean back to it so he can get it off whenever he wants. So I don't doubt that Shea would put up numbers um, in a series against any team. He's going to get to his numbers. What makes them interesting is the quick emergence of the next two best players, Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams. That, that's that's what's made this an interesting story because it, even as good as they were early in the year, you think like, okay, you didn't know what was the ceiling for Jalen Williams like this year. Mm-hmm. Mostly came into the league primarily looking at, as a guy that could really defend, long arm, you know, committed defender, all that, and offense would come along. Well, he has gone from that to a guy now here that you know, they're running their offense through him when Shea's out of the game. He has mm-hmm. become – a legitimate, consistent 20-plus point scorer, and on some nights better than that. So his emergence has now where you go, okay, they have a second guy that looks like he's not going to get knocked off his game. He's not going to be phased by the moment. He's got enough of a well-rounded offensive game that he's still going to be able to figure out whatever's thrown at him. And the same thing for Chet. I mean, he's mature beyond his years. He's super stoic. He's super efficient. Doesn't take shots he can't make affects the game on the other end. So that, to me, is really what the story about this team is, is those two players at their age arriving at this level of production, like this soon. No one expected it. If they were just normal second, first and second-year players, if that's what they were, like your normal progression, Oklahoma City Thunder are probably a little over 500. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. They're, they're number two in the Western Conference because of the emergence of those two players. And so that's what's interesting to me. Like, now, okay, let's pair them up with one of these teams. Are they going to be able to operate at this level in their first real meaningful playoffs test? 
Yeah, it's fascinating because Shea, like you mentioned it, he is one of the most unguardable players in the league. That Not just being able to stop on a dime, but his footwork once he gets there. Because if you stay with him, he's going to hit you with a pump fake and, and use a pivot foot or spin around you. He can spin backwards for the jump shot. Like He just has so many tricks in his bag that when he's on, he's on. Um, and there's not a lot you can do to stop him. But the other guys are what I'm looking at for sure, especially his top two guys. Like Chet is has been fundamentally sound on both ends of the court, and he, his handle for his size and age is just something incredible. The poise that he's able to play with, the grace at that size um, with his handle, with his passing, like it, it's really impressive to me, and I'm curious to see how that translates to a playoff environment for his first time, for Jalen Williams, like – Shea has been there once, I believe, with Chris Paul back in the day in the bubble, and that was the first round exit. So I am curious, like now that he's the guy, how that's going to translate and how his two guys right behind him are going to be with him. There's a lot of role players on this team as well that don't have a ton of playoff experience. Like I'm looking at a Lou Dort. How is the shooting going to hold up in that scenario? Um, you know, how is the defense going to translate to more physical basketball? I think it'll translate well for a guy like that. But they are, they're a really interesting team to me because I think there's no team in the league that should look at them and be like, yeah, I want the Oklahoma City Thunder in the first round. But when you look at the rest of the West, I'm not sure who you want at this point, like who's the weakest yeah. link there isn't one. Um, who I, I, my, one of my most interesting teams is the Clippers. And it feels like a, a pretty basic pick, but I am fascinated by them because they have been on a tear since I think they started three and seven. They've been unbelievable since then. Um, James Harden is fitting in really well there. Like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are the healthiest that they've been in years. It feels like the stars are starting to align for the Clippers, but there's always that lingering fear of we're one injury away from everything going south or we're one you know, James Harden or Paul George playoff implosion away from things heading south. What is your kind of take on the Clippers as we enter this stretch run? And how much stock should we be putting in them as one of the favorites in the West? Look, they have more than enough to win the whole thing mm. on paper. Like, because, you know, Kawhi has returned to, to that level um, where mm -hmm. he is so consistent um and i think just based on his track record we have we have we have belief if he's out there then that's been the question is he going to be there if he is out there you know that Kawhi is going to give you a level of greatness that is required in the moment he just is and it's because of his balance and strength like he operates and controls areas of the floor that are very difficult to control because of his strength and balance and his ability to separate and get into that lean back you know, that, that jump shot that defies logic because it has zero margin for error because it's got no trajectory and yep. yet it finds the back, the inside back of that rim. Every time it just goes straight down after it hits, it's, it's so precise. It's machine. Like he's back mm -hmm. at that level, you know, uh, and these, this, these pieces are fitting nicely. Like Paul George looks really comfortable. James Harden. I've been very critical of for a number of years because he's just, had disappeared in big spots uh, mm -hmm. for, for teams and going back to Houston certainly did it in Philly as well, but he's in a great lane. You cannot deny he has been great since he got there. 
you know, after the initial breaking in phase and they were trying to figure it out. He's been great. And the reason he's been great is because he doesn't have to score on a given night. And I think that is that is the pressure that he has felt bef- before in Houston and Philly, whereas if he didn't score well on a given night, their team couldn't function because yeah. of the usage rate. He had the ball all the time. They only had like one other star typically, and everything was built around him offensively. And that's not the case now. So he's playing great. He's relaxed. Will that continue all the way through the playoffs? Maybe. I'll be the first one to to own it if he does because I still have doubts. I still have doubts. There's going to be a night when you're going to need him uh, mm-hmm. to, to come through and he's going to look you know, not aggressive and he's going to make weird reads when he comes off screens when it's like an obvious shoot, a shooting attempt or a drive and he doesn't even look at the basket. Like You're going to see right. that surface, I believe. Westbrook, look, he's a gamer. He, he always looks the same. And sometimes, mm-hmm. it, you know, he doesn't make great decisions with his shot, his shot selection or his turnovers. But the guy's going to give you everything he has. There's no doubt about that. Then mm-hmm. I just love the way that the role players fit with these guys. And Norman Powell is in a perfect spot, man. Just wait, stand and wait, and get get shots all night mm-hmm. long because they're talent around you. They've got three different bigs they can go to, depending on what they're looking for in the middle. Um, Terrence Mann is a guy that really commits defensively and takes some of the pressure and eats up some fouls for guys like, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and who they have to guard pieces fit. They've got an experienced playoff coach who's been through this deep runs a number of times. They got everything you need. It's just a matter now of everybody being healthy when, when April, mid April gets here. And then do the guys that are playing well right now, navigate those tight spots. And Paul George mm-hmm. also, by the way, is included in that because he's had some of those too. And when mm-hmm. they were counting on him and it wasn't there, the teams he was on. Let's see now uh, if they're able to, to manage that and give Kawhi the, at least the level of consistent production he's going to need to take this team on, on a journey. Because I, I think they have all the talent they need. They've got the role pieces. They've got the coaching. And they play both ends too. It's all in place. So now we just sit back and wait. Is this finally the year that the Clippers organization breaks through? Yeah, I I think I'm pretty close to having them as my favorite to win the West right now. Obviously, the odds are are pretty, pretty close in agreement on that. I I think, you know, I I reserve the right to change my mind based on what I see from the Nuggets over the stretch run, because you got to give the defending champs their credit there. But, you know, you look at this tear that they've been on, they're the NBA's number one offense. Um, They've been unbelievable. And you pointed out Terrence Mann, like since he's been put in the starting lineup, that lineup has a plus 13.4 net rating, which is fifth in the entire NBA among all five-man lineups that have played at least 200 minutes together. So that group has been gelling. Their big three has been gelling. You're right. Like uh, As a fellow ASU Sun Devil to James Harden, defending him has been one of the difficult jobs of my entire life <laughs> because of the playoff collapses. But I think that they might have enough talent and enough role players, and especially with Ty Lue as the coach, enough basketball IQ to overcome one or two of those bad games from Harden and Paul George. You just got to hope that it's not on the same night in a pivotal game with the with everything on the line. Um, but let's move on. Who was your other most interesting team in the West that you'll be keeping an eye on through the stretch? It's gotta, yeah, it's got to be Dallas, Gerald. Uh, I, you know, mm-hmm. and I look, I've got. I've I've always been a little bit skeptical about Luca, um, not not that talent. I mean, this is the most probably the most unstoppable offensive force in the league. 
Um, yeah. In terms in terms of total command of the game, you know, as a scorer, that would probably be Embiid right now. Like for an individual mm-hmm. matchup, there's no answer for Joel Embiid because of his mid range shooting ability and his size. Luca though controls it in so many different ways. Um, and his passing, you know, the way he can pick you apart, in addition to you know dropping forty at any time. It's not not about talent. It's more about leadership and willingness to lay it on the line defensively. You know, you can't you can't ask other guys who want to do that if you're not willing to do that. I just think the example you set, I'm not saying you got to go out there and be Giannis at his best defensively or LeBron or even guys like Jason Tatum, whatever it may be, that, who take that end seriously. But it has to be better than it's been, and I think it has been actually. I, and, and it's little things. Like I watch now and I see him sprint back in transition when he misses a layup or – you know, he throws the ball to somebody on a lob and he don't catch it. And and that used to be like a head drop kind of moment for Luca. And now here they go, breaking the other way, and he's late. And somebody gets a, a second pass three that should have been his responsibility. Like, I see less of that. I see, I see a guy that I think is looking around at the team that he has, and I think he feels equipped that this is enough for me, mm-hmm. P- particularly Kyrie's playing the way he is. I mean, Kyrie's – you know, the next guy I want to talk about, like he, he looks energized. He looks into it, super engaged. Like it means everything to him. And I don't always feel that way about Kyrie, mm-hmm. but right now let's, let's enjoy it while you see it because he's that special. Can that maintain it? Can that last? It looks like the two of them have better chemistry than they had a year ago. They look like they they're more comfortable now in figuring out the ebb and flow of when it's your, you know, your, your, your show right now, my show, like that kind of thing. They seem like they've got it figured out. There's mutual level of respect there. That's important that I don't know that they had last year. And then for me, it's the guys, they just added They're yeah. small rotational pieces to a lot of people. They're not to me, Daniel Gafford, PJ Washington. Those are upgrades because now I love lively and lively is a guy that's got young bouncy legs. He, he runs and protects the rim all day, and then he runs on these lob runs on, on ball screen to for Luca, right? He, he finishes everything. It's great. Mm-hmm. Well, he's only going to play about 24, 28 minutes a game. So what were they going to do after that? Kleba, who's more of a spot-up shooter, he's going to draw charges more than anything. And then you got you know Powell, who's an undersized guy playing in the middle. Well, now you've got Gafford. So at no point do you have to play at all in the game without a 6'10 and up, bouncy center, athletic, defends, runs, and gets the ball above the square. Like, Luca's got a guy like that on the court at all times now. And then mm-hmm. P.J. Washington just is a better, I think, fit than Grant Williams was. I thought Grant Williams was going to be a lot better than he was for Dallas. I don't know what happened. There's all kinds of stuff that you can look up <laughs> online and figure out what went wrong with Grant Williams. He didn't make shots. It didn't sound like he fit in that great from a personality standpoint with the chemistry in the locker room. You go out and you get a guy that seems like he is, and he's a little bit more versatile, P.J. Washington. So I just think that they seem minor. I think they're important in filling in and plugging those gaps in your rotation so that you just have less holes in the course of a game, which is going to be a big deal when you get into a seven-game series. So I look at Dallas there. I think they won six straight going into the break. Yep. I look at Dallas now as a team that I think a lot of people are going to be watching from this point on and say, man, this team actually could make – a really long run in the West. And does that mean conference finals? Well, if it means conference finals, if you think they can get there, you're foul, you're one bad shooting night or foul trouble or an injury away from the finals. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we're saying. If you think you're at final four team, then you really have a chance to get to the finals. I think they're going to convince people that that's possible this year. When you start to look at them on a nightly basis going forward. Yeah. I think 2022 taught me the value of like 
you can never underestimate Luca in any playoff series because I saw it firsthand. He single-handedly. I wasn't going to bring it up, man. I know that that's no, like PTSD for you, so I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to like you know. You know, probably spent a lot of money on therapy sessions. I didn't want to make that money. You know, be 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 uh, good money after bad. So I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm glad you it's, did. It's hard to get that out of my mind for sure. No, it, it's fine. You know, they the guy that they could have drafted back in 2018 just came back and ended their best season of all time. It's not a big deal. But like Luca is one of those guys that can just command a series because in a playoff series you need the best player on the floor. He's absolutely one of those handful of guys that can take over single-handedly, but that's the scary thing about this Mavs team when you look at the way that Kyrie's playing and the pieces that you that they added, like they have the right complementary pieces around so that he doesn't have to put the team on his back to that same extent as what we've seen in past years. Like I love the Gafford addition because like you mentioned, now you have uniformity between your starting lineup, between your bench in terms of always having that rim running lob threat for Luca that really creates gravity for everybody else, especially when Kyrie sharing the floor with them. I like the PJ Washington pickup as well. Um, it, it just feels like things are starting to come together for this group at the right time. And we already knew that this team could be dangerous just based on what Luca is capable of doing in that setting. So uh, I think that's a team to definitely keep an eye on. My last one, and this is obviously for me because I cover the team, but I really do think the Suns are a very interesting team to keep an eye on down the stretch of the season. Uh, they have the hardest remaining strength of schedule. And over the last few weeks, we've seen them go, I think they've gone 19 and seven since that Christmas day beat down against the Mavericks. They've been a top three offense and a top eight defense surprisingly over that stretch. And over that 26 game stretch, their big three has played 20 games. So it's not a coincidence that they're starting to put things together. I really like kind of the understated additions that they made with Royce O'Neal and Thaddeus Young, giving them a little bit more size, a little bit more defense and experience, um, and especially versatility and being able to unveil some of these small ball lineups that they've been experimenting with. Because Yusuf Nurkic has been great for them this season, but there are going to be moments, there's going to be matchups where you just have to go small because him and Drew Eubanks won't be able to stay on the floor. So what are you going to do? You have Katie at the five, or you can put Thad Young at the five for stretches. You've got Royce O'Neal at the four, who's capable of guarding up a position. So I like the versatility and having a little bit more of a reliable bench than they had before. And the Suns have the hardest remaining strength of schedule left. So this is their opportunity to take the momentum they've built over these last few weeks and actually put it to the test against the Celtics twice, against the Nuggets twice, against the Clippers multiple times. Like they've got a gauntlet to finish the season. And this is going to be value for them, win or lose, because they're going to be putting these reps together and seeing how defenses guard them. And they've had so many different defenses thrown at them over the course of these last few weeks. It's all going to be valuable learning information for Vogel. So they're there, I know I cover the team, so obviously I'm a little biased in that way, but yeah. they're a fascinating team to me because it feels like this team that we expected to be a contender in the West is finally taking those steps toward that goal. Well, listen, I'm going to give you a couple of numbers that were given to me this morning. I did. I talked about the Suns uh, on my TV hits I was doing on ESPN this morning, mm -hmm. and the research did a great job giving me a couple of numbers and to put it in perspective, like how good they've been when those three guys play together mm -hmm. so right the, the the you know you look at the top field goal percentage teams in the league it's not a surprise just listen to this list of teams and by the way the 
the, the Indiana Pacers lead the league in field goal percentage at 50.8. And, and the Indiana Pacers are a good team. They're a tough team to play against. But listen, so this is in order of the highest field goal percentages in the league. And see if you find a pattern here. It's Indiana, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, the Lakers, the Bucks, the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Cavs, the Kings, the Celtics. You see a theme? These are the best teams in the NBA, right? Yep. So there's a reason for that. So, And that's the, the number one field goal percentage in the league is 50.8 for the season. When mm-hmm. Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant are on the floor together, the Suns' mm-hmm. field goal percentage is 55%. Yep. So it's five percentage points higher than the best shooting team in the NBA this year. And uh, I'll change this over, three-point percentage. Again, not a coincidence. You see a lot of good teams here. That, but the top is the Clippers, 39.5%. That leads the league in three-point shooting percentage, followed by teams like the Thunder, the Wolves, Pacers, Warriors, Celtics, Suns, Pelicans, Bucks, Mavericks, Heat, Kings, right? It's good teams. Mm-hmm. So 39.5 leads the league. When those three players for in Phoenix play together are on the floor at the same time, they shoot forty four percent as a team from the three point line, which is just absurd. Like how good they are offensively when those guys are all playing together. And then the test for Frank Vogel will be assuming health and assuming this continues. You know, his challenge is going to be if I'm coaching those three guys, Gerald. Like if I ever have a stretch, barring foul trouble or injury, just take that out of the equation that I don't have two of those guys on the court at all times, I'm I, I'm not doing my job as a head right. coach. That's the luxury of having three, right? Stagger them. You know you're going to start the game, you're going to start the second half, and you're going to finish the game with those three guys. So that's anywhere from 18 to 21 minutes. All right, well, then the rest of that game, you know, there'll be stretches where there's all three, but for the most part, that's where it's going to be two at a time. And managing mm-hmm. that effectively, that falls on, on Frank Vogel's lap. So – you know they had a tough, they had a tough patch, and people were questioning was Vogel the right guy, and like all these things. I'm just going, would you just give them a chance to look like you know healthy, look right? What does it look like? Because going in, I thought this could be one of the best offenses in league history with these three players, and I, they have a chance to look like that when they get when they get to that time of the year. So I, I agree with you. Phoenix uh, is getting their act together at the right time. It's funny some of these teams are. Starting to play better as we get as we get now toward the stretch run of the season. Now we're going to see do the Nuggets follow suit because they're not playing great going into the break. I want to see what they look like out of the break, and do they quickly just kind of make everybody go, "Oh, okay, that's right." Like the Nuggets, like, like we're yep. making a case for all these teams because the Nuggets, you know, they already got their shine last year and they're not playing great right now, and they've mm-hmm. had some injuries. You know, do they come out of the break with this just renewed focus and this precision like offensive machine? Uh, with that continuity and that starting lineup and remind everybody that, you know what, you still got to come through us. Right. The the Nuggets were kind of my honorable mention for most interesting teams, just because like you mentioned, they feel like this sleeping giant that were like, are they going to wake up and smush everybody or are they just, yeah. is this what they are this season because of the you know difference in bench depth compared to last year. But uh, one last stat on the Suns before we move on to the East, their starting lineup of Booker, Beal, Grayson, KD and Nurk, has a plus 14.9 net rating in 266 minutes together. I had mentioned the Clippers starting lineup. They had the fifth best net rating among lineups that had played 200 minutes together. The Suns are slightly above them in fourth place among those five-man lineups. So they've been really good. The question with that lineup is, do you have enough size? Do you have enough defense in a playoff setting? Or do you need to consider moving Royce O'Neal into that starting lineup to give you a little bit more defense and size there? 
Um, and they've also been playing at a much faster pace since that seven game road trip they went on. They went from 25th in the NBA in pace before that to third in the NBA in pace. So they're getting a little bit more comfortable on both ends. Uh, but you know what, Tim, the NBA season is in full swing. And when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers get five bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. There's a lot of odds. We finally have basketball tonight. So there's a lot of odds on the Sportsbook app. We already showed you some of the odds in terms of who's gonna win the West. A lot of interesting stuff. If you're a Thunder or Timberwolves fan, those odds look pretty great. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code ALLNBA. New customers can bet just five bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 467369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, Tim. We've covered the West pretty good length. Let's go ahead and move on to the Eastern Conference. If we could get those standings. Uh, obviously, the Celtics leading the pack. They are six games ahead of the next closest team, the Cavs, in second or six games back. The Bucks eight and a half games back in third. Knicks, ten games back in fourth. The 76ers clinging to life without Joel Embiid. They are... 10 and a half games back. We've got the Pacers 12 and a half back. And then the Heat, Magic, Bulls, and Hawks round out our top 10. Kind of similar to the West. I think it's safe to say these look like our, you know, play-in field. The Nets are still in the running there. They're not completely out of it. Neither are the Raptors technically. But uh, what jumps out to you when you look at these odds and these standings so far heading into the home stretch? Well, it's, it is interesting that despite the issues with the Milwaukee Bucks, um, and they've been well documented, it's crazy because I don't know that there's been a team I can remember that um, had a record of sort of the Bucks, uh, 35 and 21, 14 games over 500 at the All Star break. That's been more doubted and scrutinized than the Milwaukee Bucks because mm -hmm. when you paired up these two players, with the culture that was already there, like, and this was a team that at their best and won a championship was just, you know, elite defensively when they needed to be. And now you paired Damian Little with Giannis Antetokounmpo. You talk about checking every box offensively. Like, how are you supposed to deal with all that? They still had shooters. Um, mm -hmm. Their defense, though, we didn't see, I think, taking this kind of a decline. And so they've been really porous defensively. The glaring difference between Drew Holiday and Damian Lillard at the point in terms of how you pressure the ball and set the tone, it's just so it's so obvious, and it's 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 definitely different in the way that they approach defense. I think Chris Middleton probably's lost a little bit of his uh, ability to lock guys down a little bit because just because of the injuries, and he's getting a little bit older. He's not quite as quick to react off the ground to contest shots, so guys shoot over him a little bit more comfortably now in mid range than they used to. Um, 
they play two really big guys a lot, Lopez and Giannis, and sometimes that can be hard in running back in transition and getting out to the three-point line. So there's reasons for it. Um, they also had a first-time head coach, you know, beginning of the year. So there's a lot of stuff that went into this. Well, what happens? They, you know, do a rare thing. 30 and 13, you fire the coach. You don't see that. And Doc Rivers comes in because they just didn't believe what they were seeing on a daily basis was good enough. And the barometer and the measuring stick was Boston, period. They're looking at Boston and saying, we don't, we're not, we don't have enough. And we don't know if Adrian Griffith's right guy to navigate the job. So you make the coaching change. They, they have their rock bottom moment. They lose to Memphis before the break, an absolute atrocity of a loss. I mean, Memphis is basically playing G, G League and 2A players, and like none of their top guys are suited up. And the Bucs clearly wanted to win the game to send the right message, like finished on a positive note going into the break, and they don't do that. So here we are coming out of the break. Despite all of those issues, Gerald, what stood out to me, we put that graphic up there. Let's pop it up again, Emma, if you can, real quick in the East. They still think the Bucs are second most likely <laughs> to win the Eastern Conference because they just – people – and it's kind of like what I said in the West about Oklahoma City, Minnesota. I still don't think people are buying in enough to the Cavaliers. They're not buying in enough to the Knicks. And part of that is right now the Knicks are really banged up. And actually, there's you know stories out there that you know eight, uh, Julius Randle's considering surgery. I mean, he's already been right. out a month. That's surprising. You think that's the kind of thing you make that determination right away? Yeah. And you know that doesn't mean he would have made it back for the season. But maybe the fact that they've been rehabbing this thing for a month and they. They, they're still kind of that's still out there that that's a possibility that is not a good sign and if that happens that changes everything for the Knicks and maybe that's what that's about but they still like the Bucks better than both of those teams despite the fact that they've gobbled up a lot of ground and they've gotten themselves into the mix both of those teams uh, I guess at the end of the day people have faith that Doc will improve that situation enough and you still do have Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo at the end of the day and you go to a playoff series they trust them more than what the Cavs and Knicks have. That's all. That's the only thing I can think of that makes sense as to why neither of those teams have supplanted the Bucks with all their issues. Yeah, it, I don't know if it's a show of faith in the Bucks or an indictment on the rest of the conference right now. But you're right. Like I feel like the Bucks are a fascinating team. They were one of my most interesting teams in the East when you look at this home stretch, just because you know they've gone five and eight since they fired Adrian Griffin. They're three and seven since Doc Rivers has taken over the job. And, you know, I, I don't know if you saw all the memes blowing up yesterday with the Doc Rivers and the things yeah. throughout history that he's told certain people. Um, but I, I just, it's an interesting, it's so almost unprecedented in terms of making that type of coaching switch, not only with the record that you have, but at that point in the season for a team that has title aspirations that just made this home run swinging move and bringing Damian Lillard on board but there were so many things that we heard coming out of Milwaukee in terms of, you know, the players asking Adrian Griffin to totally switch his defensive style to suit their roster better. Um, you know, things like that, wanting to run more pick and rolls for Dame and Giannis, which is your top weapon there. And it's kind of funny because you look at their starting lineup with Beasley in the mix there, and they have an incredible net rating together. They're actually third um, or yeah, the third highest net rating among players with 200 minutes together, which is incredible. It's just one of those things where they haven't lived up to the Celtics. Like you said, like they were supposed to be the one a or one B to Boston coming into the season. Yeah. And the Celtics have just been head and shoulders better than them. And pretty much everybody else in the league to this point. 
So if you're Milwaukee, you make this drastic move. I am curious, though, based on what you've seen in this limited stretch with Doc at the helm, has anything changed? Like what has changed for the Bucks aside from wins and losses? What is what is it that they need to figure out under a new head coaching change that you make this late in the season? Yeah, it's, I haven't seen much yet. It's too hard on the fly to do that. And Doc, it's funny because Doc, one of the things he's getting beat up about a little bit is, you know, coming out and saying, yeah, I guess it's not the best idea to take the job right before a big, you know, toughest road trip of the year. Like, you know, it's like, okay, man. You knew that because he threw him. He started out, his first game was at Denver, right? That was like, how, this is how you're welcome to the team uh, that's yep. struggling and you get to go play Denver on the road. So, you know, he made that comment. I haven't seen a lot yet. I think you'll, you'll, That'll be something probably that'll be gradual by between now and the end of the year. He needs an offseason, man. He needs a full preparation offseason to come in and be able to implement what he wants from day one. It's very difficult to do it on the fly. It's super hard as a player to switch teams midseason and go have an impact and feel comfortable and natural. It, it's difficult mm -hmm. because you don't know what norms have been established and you can it's easy to say hey just go be you but it's different you're not you you're in a different uniform with different teammates in a different city and a different offense you don't feel the same and you think too much it's hard for players it's twice as hard for a coach because everything was laid out since september this is how we're going to play this is the rotation and this is what we're running and on both ends and now you're going to change it on the fly with very little practice time that's hard so let's see give doc more time i'm certainly not you know thinking that uh, he was the wrong guy for the job i i think if you want to make that move, you might have been better off doing it in the summer yeah. and give Adrian Griffin a chance to see if, you know, over the course of an entire year, like what that would look like. So I think, you know, it was unfair to him. You, look, you go 30 and 13, you deserve to keep your job. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's a first-time head coach. They didn't believe. That's the bottom line. Your organization did not believe. They're probably their top guys didn't believe. So they make the move. And now here we go. Now here's an interesting thing about Lillard. I think this is the whole thing's going to hinge on Lillard. I yeah. think defensively – the the changes will come somewhat schematically from what Doc wants to do different. There's only so much you can do in the NBA. It's really a lot of it's personnel dictated, okay? Mm -hmm. So some of that is, is out of his hands. But he will change some things in coverages and throughout the game, what they might change and like things like that. He's got a lot of experience with it. So that will be an incremental improvement. Most of the defensive changes, Gerald, are going to come from, I think, Giannis Antetokounmpo literally grabbing his team first practice out of the break and calling people out and challenging them to dig as deep as they can because they're not playing hard enough. They don't run the floor in transition. They get beat on lazy weak side cuts where they turn their head. They're not paying attention. They don't, they don't have key box outs when they need to. They don't close out with full intensity to three point line. Like I've been watching this all year. That's all stuff that's effort based. Mm -hmm. I think Giannis is the guy with his leadership and intensity can turn that around. What this whole thing, though, is going to hinge on, assuming that they do get a little bit better defensively, is Lillard. He has not been as advertised offensively. Mm -hmm. People are asking, like, why is that? And I, and look, I, here's my opinion on it. This is the first time in Lillard's life he's not the best player on his team. And so what does that mean? It means that every other t time he's played a basketball game, coming <laughs> up the floor, he knew he was the best option. Like mm -hmm. he always felt like the best option. So you do have yep. any idea what kind of freedom you have mentally. Like there is zero thought process about anything you're doing. It's just reading defenses, but it's not thinking about there's another guy out here who casts a mm -hmm. large shadow that like, should it be going there right now? And so that is enough 
to disrupt the flow between these two players and to have Lillard not operate at peak level. Now, he also went through a shooting slump last year and the year before. So you start to do wonder, like, at his age, you know, he's 33 years old. Is, are, are his three-point numbers never going to be, like, what they were at their best? So he just hasn't been quite there. Like, some nights he's great. A lot of nights he's just okay, and and I think they were expecting more, and I'm not blaming him. I'm saying the circumstances of changing is a very difficult thing when you've always been the best player and knew that anything you hunted down was a good thing for your team. Now it's a little bit different. There's a flow to it. There is something where these two guys have to figure out a way to mesh, and I think that's disrupting Lillard a little bit. He's thinking probably a little bit too much. And not, not to mention the fact, Gerald, this is the first team he's ever been on that was expected to win a championship. He's never yeah. had those expectations either. And they've already won one too, by the way. It's just like, hey, we're all this together, trying to win our first, right? Like, no, nah, actually, we got one already. You know, we're 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 trying to help you. Uh, you know, hope that you can help us get another one around here. But we already have one of those. So there's just all kinds of weird dynamics to the pressures that he feels and what he's experiencing every day that don't feel natural to him. There's also some stuff that's been written about, like his personal life. He's going through some stuff. So there's a lot there that is just enough to not let him be totally free mentally to mm. go play the way that he's always played and as a result you get just enough decrease in his efficiency in his numbers they become easier to guard and when you combine it with a porous defense this is what it looks like so these are the areas that, that you got to clean up get him free of mind somehow and tighten up the defense 10 percent. and and now you got a team that that looks like they're top two in the east again yeah the damian lillard component is fascinating to me just because like you mentioned, going from free having free reign as the number one guy in Portland to being a guy who needs to look for Giannis as the number one option is, is very different. And I think to your point about the personal life stuff, I do think one thing that goes overlooked with Dame is how much he loved the city of Portland, how much he loved there living there. And it's it's yeah. different when you go, when you change That's fan fair. bases, when you change cities in the middle of the season, change expectations. It's a whole new world aside from just the basketball stuff. And I think sometimes the human element does get lost in all of that, especially with a guy like Dame that poured everything he had into that city and that organization for the majority of his career. Um, but you're right. Like he hasn't been as advertised. I think it was funny watching the reactions to him winning all-star game MVP and drilling all these threes. And people were saying, man, Milwaukee's got to be sick watching this right now. And I'm just thinking like it, it's one of those things where he can make them truly unstoppable in a playoff environment, trying to defend those pick and rolls with Giannis. Or if he's not as good as expected, like there are, there are quality teams in the East right now. And you're looking at a situation where they are no longer the 1B. They are definitively two and maybe three, depending on what we see from the Cavs. But I want to get your thoughts. Who is your other most interesting team in the East? Um, I would go with the Celtics. Um, I'm okay. looking at I'm looking at I'm looking at Boston, and I'm just saying, look, there there will be no, there's absolutely no excuse yeah. to not win it, even if they get Denver. I, I you know, and look in that series, if it were Boston Denver, which I think if I had to lay money on it today, that's probably who I would pick. Boston, Denver in the finals. Again, until one of these teams in the West shows me they've got the sustainability to beat a team like that, I'm gonna, I'm still going to think it's Denver. Um, and it's even in a series like that. Like Boston has five players that are two-way players in a starting lineup. Five guys. You talk about versatility and how you want to attack. You've got 
four different guys that can break you down off the dribble or post or post up and, and beat you that way. They can catch and shoot. They've got a center that has the highest points per possession in the post in the NBA. When yeah. Christoph Porzingis posts up, it's worth 1.4 points per post up. That's the mm-hmm. highest in the league. So, and like he doesn't do it a ton. And he, you know, he spends a lot of time in the perimeter. I get it. But my point is, it's a massive upgrade at what your options are offensively with your center over Al Horford and Robert Williams. It's just a totally different thing. And by the way, the two guys they brought in, you don't give up anything defensively. Losing Smart and Williams, you know, that was the that was the kind of nuts and bolts of them defensively. Well, you're placing right. it with Drew Holiday and Christoph Porzingis. It's like a pretty good replication, man. And yeah. you got much better offensively. And and I think with in the case of Drew and Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart might have had that X factor, like he can make five, six threes on it, you know, in a finals game. Like, but yeah. it, the, the, you know, the the consistent decision making is Drew Holiday is is better there, and mm-hmm. and then you know he's also going to be able to you know run a team or score on a given night if he has to. But then the defense, what you're getting out of him, is exactly what you're getting out of Marcus Smart. So I just look at Boston and I say, you know, they've been to four conference finals since Jason Tatum got there now two of them he was very young in the beginning they weren't ready um including the year with Kyrie on their team who didn't play in that series against Cleveland it was very ironic because he sat there and watched LeBron win that series on Boston's <laughs> court in game seven um right but they weren't ready but you know but now they've had some other years where they were and they didn't quite get it done and Jason Tatum got outplayed by Curry in the finals two years ago and so there's a lot kind of there hanging in the air but this is the best chance Jason Tatum has had since he's been in the league to to finally you know win a championship and it's weird I was saying this today Gerald this is interesting because we're talking about the MVP discussion and how he doesn't come up much it's weird mm-hmm. and I think it's because he's gotten they've gotten so much help that it's almost like it hurts him his right. stats his stats have cannibalized a little bit but it's more just about wow look yeah look at that team look at all the help he has it's almost like it's weird you get taken out of the discussion. He might have it in reverse of what like Jokic and Giannis had, which was win a couple MVPs first with yep. teams that were like in Milwaukee's case, number one seed twice. I think Denver had the number one seed one of those years. So these were teams expected to win, and that's why they won the MVP and they're great players. Mm-hmm. But like, okay, best record, best player, MVP, no championship two years in a row. Then it's like, okay, Giannis doesn't, doesn't get the next MVP, but he wins the championship. And mm-hmm. Jokic gets two MVPs before the championship. Tatum's in reverse. It's like yeah. he's going to have to win a championship first, right, mm-hmm. to prove to everybody that like he can he can finish this thing off, and probably that would mean Finals MVP, and finish it off. And then maybe next year he'll get he'll get those MVP votes again, right, to push him to the top because he's proven that like he can he can do that in a big moment. It's just weird. It's like it's like in reverse, but it's all there for them, Gerald. It's all there. There's there's barring an injury. To one of those key guys, they have everything they need on both ends of the floor, and they've got a guy now in Missoula who was questioned a lot last year. He's been through it now, man. He's he's been through a playoff run. He knows what that looked like and felt like, and and it's going to be up to him. It's going to be some spotlight moments. He's going to have to manage those well. But I think collectively they feel like this is their time in their year, and I'm curious to see if they can actually finish this thing off. Yeah, they're they're interesting to me just because, like you said, like if this isn't the year, you run into a situation where it's like, okay, now what? Like we've we traded for Porzingis, we added Drew Holiday, we they even had a great like marginal pickup at the deadline with Xavier Tillman. I love that pickup for them on the back lines, give them a little bit of depth there. But if they don't do it this year when they're head and shoulders ahead of the rest of the league, 
how do you tweak it? Like, do you tweak it? Do you give them another year? Yeah. What do you, what do you do looking forward? Um, but yeah, if I had to pick a team that was going to win it all, I think they would be the presumptive favorites pretty, pretty handily over everybody else at this point in the season. They're, they're just a force on both ends of the floor. They have so many different ways that they can beat you offensively and defensively. And you're right. Like it, it does feel like, I wouldn't consider Tatum a realistic MVP candidate. I would definitely have him in my top five, but it doesn't feel like he gets enough credit as like a legitimate MVP candidate for whatever reason, because you look at the Thunder in the West and like Shea, you would consider him an MVP candidate, second best team in the West, putting up really good stats. And they're obviously, you know, the numbers are more eye popping than Tatum's, but it's just interesting how there's a difference there. And I think we are at the point with the Celtics where it's like, We've seen you in the conference finals so many times. We've seen you in the finals once. Are you going to get over that hump? Because until you do, we're not really going to – we're going to take you seriously, but we need to see it to believe yeah. and start giving you those awards. And to be fair, Tatum is obviously a lock for all NBA. He has been the past couple of seasons. But in terms of that MVP hardware, nobody's buying into them until they win a championship, which is <laughs> – it's pretty funny because you're right. It and is the reverse and, and I just want to say, you know, in, in looking at them, you say, and we both agree, I mean, they're as complete as it gets. They're almost mm -hmm. unbeatable at home. And yeah. they've got the best record throughout. That's a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. There's one vulnerability with them, and it is there are some nights, and I feel like they string together too many three-point shots mm -hmm. um, too, too easily. Like, take the first half-decent three-point shot. And there's they would be so hard to guard. If, if, you know, they kept that number down, they lead the league in three point attempts. Right. Um, and it's funny, I mentioned earlier the field goal percentage and three point percentage. I, and I started reading the teams that were in the list of top 10 and it's all good teams, right? For the most part, because even, even teams like the warriors, like you consider them a good team still like that. Mm -hmm. That's who was in there. But then the rest of them were all contending type teams. When, when you look at the three point attempts and now you start names will start popping up atlanta and memphis <laughs> and san antonio right so yep. it's not necessarily always a great thing and when you have that much talent when you have forwards that are that good at breaking you down when you've got guards that are that good with the ball that of getting into the paint when you've got a post-up player the effectiveness of porzingis and I'm not saying look, that's part. That's a big part of the, who they are. It's a, it's a weapon for them, and they bury teams sometimes from out there. All I'm saying is, if you can cut back on those five or six a game, that are like really quick one pass. Whoever has any sort of light, shoot it, and it ends up in an empty trip. I just think if you can tighten that up a little bit, and you you will not be bailing out defenses to give them a chance to guard you. That's the only thing I wonder. Like in a big spot. You get into the playoffs. If they lose a game that like matters early yeah. in a series, you know, it's one one and they go down two one and they took forty-eight threes. I just wonder if like that's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about. Um, they made themselves easier to guard than they had to. And that's yeah. the one thing I look at with that team. And it's it's kind of what I always watch for when I when I see them play. Because I've seen times when they've taken five, six in a row, like yeah. without really scoring anything else. And it's like, man, mm -hmm. just imagine how hard you would be to guard if you actually got into the paint before the ball came out for a three because the, the guys are more open and more on balance and it's just like the flow of the offense is better that way but that's it's it's nitpicking believe me because they're the best team in the league most complete team in the league but that's nitpicking but it is a vulnerability i think to look at they're they're a shoot first shoot again shoot one more time and then ask questions later kind of team yeah. at times um and i think the late game offense has been something that 
has been a concern at times during Tatum and Brown's tenure. It doesn't feel like, especially in playoff scenarios or tight games, that they always generate the best shot. And shot quality matters a lot more. It's amplified in the playoffs when defenses are trying to take away what you normally do. So that is, that's one thing I'm going to keep an eye on. I think they have the additional pieces now. You mentioned having an additional post-up hub like Porzingis that is the most effective on that type of play in the league. That really helps alleviate some of that, I think. I'm fascinated to see whether they work in some of that pick-and-pop type stuff in late game scenarios as well, because that stuff's difficult to guard. But that that would be my one thing that I'm keeping an eye on with the Celtics as well. But we, we mentioned the Cavs earlier, and I want to talk about the Cavs because they are fascinating to me because they are 18 and two over the last 20 games. They are the hottest team in the NBA right now. And they've done a lot of that without Darius Garland, without Evan Mobley even being on the floor. And it doesn't feel like anyone myself included is taking them seriously yet as a legitimate threat in the East. What's, what's your read on the Cavs and and kind of the stretch they've been on here. I I think, you know, the problem in the East is everything is as a measuring stick is Boston. So you, you you know, you be realistic about the ceiling and I'll say the same thing about them that I'll say about the Knicks. Cause I think Celtic, I think the Cavs bucks Knicks, Right now, as we sit here, without Milwaukee doing the things I just said a little while ago, without seeing that happen, as we sit here, I think any of those three teams could end up in the conference finals. And that's the same case for the Cavaliers. I think what's been impressive about them is, you know, and you mentioned 18 and 2 and 20 in a 20 game stretch and doing that without two key guys. When you look at the way that they're winning those games, um, I know the first like 14 of those wins, I stopped tracking this, but it the first 14 of those wins during that streak, I think 12 of those wins, they, they gave 102 points or less. Yeah. And, you know, that's just the lowest in the league to give up is 107, 108. Like, I mean, right. I'm, I'm sorry, the lowest, the lowest scoring teams in the league get 107, 108 points. That's like San Antonio, Portland, Charlotte material. So, right. like, the bad teams on a given night are getting to 108 is my point. And they gave up 102 in, like, 12 wins in mm-hmm. a short period of time. It's 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 incredible because it it look they're going to be streaky at times shooting and Donovan Mitchell can be very streaky he's been streaky in yeah. the playoffs at times they, mm-hmm. th- that can come and go when you give yourself a chance because of the way you defend and the length that you have and it really revolves around the versatility out of their two bigs Jared Allen and Mobley and Mobley can do a good job jumping out and and using quick feet to guard guys if they get hot and then Jared Allen is, is just one of the best at timing everything at the rim so it's it revolves around them. Um, and it's just impressive that you can win a game on a night when you don't play well offensively. And in this yeah. league, that's not that easy to do because everything is set up for teams to score. And if you just don't have a good scoring night or don't shoot well or whatever it may be, hard. It's hard because you might have to get to 115, 120 to win a game. That's mm-hmm. not the case with Cleveland. And that's why they are legitimate. And and like how I don't know how these this, you know, these these series are gonna, you know, pan out. Somebody's gonna get the heat in the first round. That's a yeah. that's that's really interesting and scary. Somebody might get Philly just getting Embiid back in the first mm-hmm. round. Like somebody's going to get Indiana in the first round, where you're going to play a style against a style that is unlike any other team in the league. And if you're not prepared for it, they can they can they can get a game early in a series and win a road game. And now it's, now you're kind of scared, like on your heels. So there are some threatening first round series for all these teams. Um, outside of whoever Boston gets, I'm not going to doubt them at all. But these other teams, take a name out of a hat, Gerald. Any of those three, 
I'll make a really good argument why that's the team that's going to play the Celtics in the conference finals. And the Cavs are certainly right there. Yeah, the, the Cavs are – this is not going to be brown, groundbreaking analysis by any means, but it's going to come down to Donovan Mitchell for me because he's been – this has been the best basketball of, of his career to me. I mean, he's putting up a 28-7-5 stat line. Those are career highs in every category. It feels like he's taken on more of the playmaking load with Darius Garland out for that stretch there. But like you said, he can be streaky. And in the playoffs, we've seen his teams cap out in the second round multiple times. And we, we've seen this Cavs team even bow out of the playoffs in kind of underwhelming fashion. Um, so I'm interested to see if this is the year where Donovan Mitchell puts everything together that we've seen during this regular season and it translates to a playoff environment where you have to be at your best on a nightly basis, where he is the best offensive player on that team because they've gotten lots of contributions across the board. Like you mentioned their defense, it's their third in defensive rating over this 20 game stretch. They're also first in offensive rating. Like Dean Wade has been fantastic for them this season. Max Struess has come right in and fit in well. That lineup of Mitchell, Struess, uh, Dean Wade, Isaac Okoro, and Jarrett Allen has a plus 19.6 net rating together over 232 minutes. That's insane. And it's not, it doesn't have two of their best guys in that lineup. So the way they've been able to put together wins, the way they've been able to crack down defensively while still being one of the best offenses in the NBA without your lead playmaker out there and one of your key cornerstone pieces has been fascinating to me. I am interested to see what, how this momentum continues now that they've gotten those two key pieces back in the lineup. And I just love every time we talk about them because every time I hear somebody say Dean Wade, I think of some guy that's like running a prep school somewhere, right? Dean yeah. Wade. It, it makes me laugh every time. It reminds me of old school, right? It's, it's, that's what it reminds right. me of. Um, so so real, one last quick point on the Cavs. Yeah, and I think the point at Mitchell's valid. It was always the problem in Utah. I think that, you know, his susceptibility to kind of go for the kill shot mm-hmm. um, at an opportune times, and mainly was him bringing the ball up. In Utah, and like I like the fact that he's paired now, and that's why Conley actually helped him in Utah. And I think Garland is same. I think the mm-hmm. less that Mitchell brings it up, the better yeah. off they are. Right, I'd go down and and catch the ball on the wing in an advantageous spot after you've made a defender move, rather than coming up with a live dribble where you're so tempted to just rise up and pull. Um, mm-hmm. So that is going to be, I think, a big thing for them. How do these role players shoot the ball under pressure? Because they've got a bunch of them, Wade. And they got Struess, and they got Sam Merrill. Um, you know, they got a bunch of dudes that can tow them up. They're going to have to make shots under pressure in the playoffs because of the tension that those other elite scorers are going to get. Um, so they're they're interesting to me. And then I'm just we're going to we got we're pretty much done. I just want to say Indiana is another interesting team to me. They would be yeah. the other team. Keep an eye on Indiana because they haven't had a lot of time with Halliburton and Siakam together, and I think that pairing is going to be very very interesting and hard hard to guard. As you go on, you guys don't talk about them much. They're in sixth spot. They're only a couple games back of four. And with the Knicks banged up and hobbled, and if Randall's, you know, unavailable for a longer period of time, who knows how long that could last with the Sixers missing a bead. Don't be shocked to see the Indiana Pacers like climb a couple spots. And like now mm-hmm. they're in the hunt going down the stretch to host the first round series or something. Like I think that that is something that's po- that's possible for them um, once they get more time with those two top top guys together. Absolutely. The Pacers have been fun to watch. We've talked about them multiple times and adding Siakam to the mix once he gets acclimated and everybody knows their roles on both ends. I think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch that could have a puncher's chance to win a playoff series or two, depending on how things shake out with injuries and whatnot in the East. 
But I think that's going to do it for this edition of the All MBA podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please make sure to follow the show at All City MBA. Follow Tim Legler at Legs ESPN. Follow me at Gerald Bourget if you would like. And until next time, enjoy MBA hoops again. Like the mayor.